Good morning, church. Today I am preaching from one of my eight Bibles. Uh, I just got a new Bible, by the way. This is not it. Um, Don't have time for the rabbit trail. Catch me after service if you want to know the best Bible that has ever surfaced on the face of the planet, uh, and I'll tell you all about it. Uh, This is not it, though. This is my 2011 NIV. I... This is the Bible I used leading a youth ministry for 10 years in College Station. I had, it was falling apart, so I had to get it recovered. Um, and this is nice goat skin, uh, leather. It's real leather. Smells great. Um, but anyway, it's a, it's a fantastic Bible, and I'm excited to be preaching to you today. I want to reference, I don't know if these are my own thoughts or spirit-led in this moment, but the declaration that we just did is a proclamation of blessing on our life. And we are not blessed for the sake of being blessed. We are blessed for the sake of being a blessing. God brings provision into our life, not so that we can buy better cars and build bigger houses and wear nicer clothes. And I'm not against those things. I'm not. I I ironed my shirt this morning because I care. I care how I look, right? But the blessing of God, the prosperity of God, which it's actually his will and his desire for you to walk in health, wholeness, and prosperity. The scripture plainly says that. But, but the prosperity is not so that you and I can just be fat cats in a mansion somewhere. The prosperity is so that this gospel can reach to the ends of the earth in every tongue, every language. You know what I mean? I just want to be used to the Lord. So, you know, I brag on my, and this wasn't cheap. This cover was like, I think, 200 bucks. And it killed me to, to pay the 200 bucks for it. Um, but I just want to make sure that you and I understand we're not running after things. We're running after the glory of God to fill the earth. We're running after people who are far from him to come to know him. Today, the title of my sermon is called The Great Hijack. The Great Hijack. I'm going to have you stand for the reading of God's word. It's only five verses today. But I want to take you to the book of Matthew, the first gospel in the New Testament. It wasn't written first. It was just placed first in the New Testament because... It's a good transition from Old Testament to New Testament. Matthew was um, a very staunch Jew. He was, you know, a tax collector, and his version of the gospel speaks to the Jewish community. And so it would make sense that the people who, the Jews, the people who read only the Old Testament, would need kind of that entry into the New Testament, right? That's what Matthew is doing. And the end of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28 is a clarion call to you and I to reach beyond ourselves into a lost and a dying world. In the church world, we call this the Great Commission. The Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. 
when Jesus came to them, he's coming to them after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, he came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Father, we come before you today. I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is alive. I thank you that the spirit of God is breathing on us today. God, that you have shown up prepared to do business with our hearts, to, to mold us, to, to shape us into the image of Christ. God, I ask that our hearts would just be open, our hands and our ears would be open to receive from you today. In Jesus' name I pray, let the church say amen. Before you sit down, listen, I'm talking about the Great Commission. I'm talking about reaching beyond yourself. Please, for all that is holy, meet somebody new, and then you may be seated. Even if you've never seen a single episode, you probably have heard of the old classic Candid Camera. Yes, okay. Uh, Candid Camera was in, you know, before my generation, actually. It came out in 1947, but in 1947, it was called Candid Microphone. It was Candid Microphone. Eventually, it made its way onto TV. It went onto NBC, then it transitioned to CBS. And during your typical candid camera show, there would be some ridiculous event that would take place and everyone would be in on it except for, you know, one or two people and they would, um, you know, it was, it was a prank show. There are other prank shows that have tried to recreate candid camera, but I don't think anything's been as successful as candid camera. Uh, for example, in one segment, a woman asked several mechanics to come out, take a look at her car, and they open the hood and there's no engine in the car, right? So that's funny and it shows their reaction of like, how did you get here? And it's, <laughs> smile, you're on. Another time, another episode, a guy asked a tailor to make a suit for his pet kangaroo. And... Uh, the tailors didn't really get it. And then at the end of the segment, they said, smile, you're on. Yeah, exactly. Um, smile, you're on candid camera. And, and just in case you haven't heard of the program, it's, I don't know if it's still online or you can still watch it, but you could certainly YouTube it and get a few of them. Uh, but Alan Funt was the host of this show and he became hugely popular in American culture as the prankster, the jokester. And the public thought uh, the candid camera was hilarious. And unfortunately, this backfired for Alan in uh, February of 1969. In February of 1969, the jokester got kind of a, a taste of his own medicine. He was boarding a plane from Newark to Miami. And at that time, he was with his his wife and his daughter, and they're flying down to Miami, and the plane got hijacked. For real, it got hijacked, 
and the hijacker put a knife up to the stewardess, stewardess's neck, demanded entrance into the cockpit, and then he demanded that the plane be flown to Cuba and, or Havana. And everyone was nervous and upset until people saw Alan sitting on the plane. When they saw Alan sitting on the plane, everyone knew that they were just about to yell, smile, you're on candid camera. The plane erupts in laughter, high fives. Um, they're getting Alan's autograph. Alan is trying to convince them that this is not a practical joke, <laughs> that they are really getting hijacked. They, they were taking their barf bags out of the seat and getting Alan to autograph the barf bags on the plane. I mean, it was absolute, utter, you know, a party. It was jubilant. This airplane being hijacked was an absolute party to everyone but Alan. <laughs> and, and, and everyone realized when they finally landed in Havana that it wasn't a joke. They sat in Cuba for 11 hours before the plane could return to America. And Alan's wife recalls the entire plane was so furious with Alan because they blamed him for the hijack, for them not taking it seriously, for, for them not trying to stop it. They all blamed Alan. And one passenger, as he exits him, he says, smile my butt. He's so angry at Alan for a joke that Alan wasn't even trying to play. You know, in the 60s, um, hijacking planes was pretty common. I know it's hard to believe now with TSA and the shakedown that you get when you go to the airport, uh, but in 1969, we see that there were approximately 30 hijackings in America. 30 hijackings in 1969. That's, that's unbelievable. Um, this time, though, it certainly wasn't a joke. It wasn't funny. It was a real hijacking. And, and thankfully, plane hijacking isn't as common these days. But there is something else that has been hijacked a lot as of late. And I want to talk to you about the hijacking because I'm afraid that many of us think it's a joke that it's just fun and games, that somebody's going to just jump out from the closet and say, smile, you're on candid camera. But I'm afraid that today, more than ever, the Great Commission has been hijacked more than any time in human history. We have hijacked this concept of the Great Commission and made it something we want it to be, rather than what Jesus said it really needed to be. So I want to take a look at today the four ways we hijack the Great Commission. Now, before I give you the four ways, I want to jump back into Scripture and read specifically. Now that you know what you're looking for, let's read the Great Commission very closely, starting on verse 18. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, now if you have a, your Bible with you, or maybe you can highlight on your phone app, I really suggest highlighting that word, therefore. Anytime you see the word, therefore, in Scripture, you need to go back and see what the word is, therefore. It is a, a critical turn of Scripture, okay? Um, therefore, here means, 
since Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, since he's got all the authority, I have a job to do. Are you with me? I have to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. By the way, we have a baptism coming up in just a few weeks. I believe it's the week or two after Easter. If you're not baptized, if you've not been baptized, now is your chance to get baptized. So please uh, sign up, go to a website, Open Church Center, your church app, sign up for baptism. Um, get more information from us because it is time to get baptized if you've not been baptized. And for those of you who are nervous about baptism, relax. I, I don't hold you under until the last bubble comes up. I've baptized some people that have actually asked me to do that. <laughs> they said, I need a good washing pastor. Um, but, you know, it's It's quick. And we usually do it in Lake Pflugerville. I'm not sure that the location has been said it may be in a pool because there's construction at Lake Pflugerville. You know, lots of things go into this. Um, but, but you can still relax. It's a good, going to be a great location no matter what. I once did a baptism at a lake. What did it have in it? Leeches and scorpions. As I was baptizing the people in this lake, there were scorpions crawling on the top of the water. And I had an anchor. If you ever see someone behind me, what they're doing is they're holding my belt so that I don't get rebaptized with the person I'm baptizing. Um, but their second job that day was to use their hat to scoop up the scorpions. And then afterward, I had to strip down and we had to peel all the leeches off of me. Um, it's okay. It's okay. They were, they were singing, there's power in the blood. Um, But that's not going to happen at this baptism. This is going to be a clean baptism. Now is your chance. If you don't sign up for this one, the next one may be in the leech lake. Okay? Anyway. He told us to make disciples, to baptize people. Then verse 20, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So because I am a man under authority, under the supreme authority, I must be discipled and I must disciple others. It's the way of the kingdom. Discipleship is the great commission. Spreading the gospel happens through discipleship. Okay, I want to I share with you four ways that we've hijacked the great commission. Can I do that today? And if you see yourself or your your frameworks in any of these, there is no guilt and shame here today. We're just, we're here to clean some rooms in the house, maybe clean out some closets, maybe uh, in, the, in the pantry where you've got all the Tupperware, we're just trying to realign the lids to the bases, okay? You don't need to feel bad that your, your house looks cluttered or you don't understand something. Let's just let the Holy Spirit do a deep work in us today, okay? The, the first way that we've hijacked this great commission is when we place ourselves at the center. When we place ourselves at the center. We love adventure stories, don't we? We love um, pirates, spy, espionage, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. We just love to sit down and soak up a good adventure. Now, I, I am married to an adventure woman. My wife really loves adventure, and she does adventure. 
I like to think about adventure, ponder about adventure while it's raining. I love to read about adventure. My wife likes to find adventure and sign us up and say, I'm going with her to the adventure. And I'm grateful for that because if it weren't for my wife, who is an Enneagram 8, who loves adventure, and I'm the four who, who would just, you know, think about, I would build a fantasy world of adventure. She makes me actually live a life of adventure. And I moan every time. I complain about it every time until I get there. And when I get there, I realize just how much adventure is inside of me. Just how much I really did like that stupid thing she wanted me to do. We all love adventure on some level. And I think that uh, when we want to go somewhere far away to experience an adventure or intrigue, and then we want to come back changed. So we think about the Great Commission, and our primary focus is on the word go. Go into all the world. For some of us, that go may look like 6th Street and witnessing to the prostitutes and drug dealers and the gangs, and which we need to do that. We should be doing that. That's, we need to be bringing the gospel to every region. Some of us focus on go and we look at other, other countries. My mother-in-law loved to go. She just, you know, she was older in years, had a few health issues, but she was still going to go to Moldova and spread the gospel. She still, when she passed away, she had plans to go to Africa, right? A woman in her 70s, she was a go kind of woman. Do you know what I mean? And there's nothing wrong with go. But what we have to be careful of is, we have to be careful that we don't turn these good things like sharing the gospel with others into a project that's about us. I'm going to change the world someday. Are, are you? Or is Jesus? I, I'm going to go preach to the nations. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pray and heal the sick. I'm going to cast out demons. Are, are you? Or is the Spirit of God through you going to do a work in His land? We just have to be careful. It's, it's really in the Great Commission. And I think it's a, you know, it's a noble misplacement. Maybe that's a good word for it. It's, it's noble of you to want to be such a warrior for Jesus. It's noble of you to want to go and take on the world, to have all of these hopes and all of these dreams. But at the end of the day, the Great Commission isn't based on your authority at all. It's not because you have somehow conquered a talent, conquered a skill, have love to give. It's because all authority on heaven and earth comes from Him. Therefore, you go. How do I know, Trey? How do I know if I've made it all about me? Well, there's a... I just thought of one simple way. I'm sure this isn't a litmus test that works for everyone, but here's my thoughts. If you are saying things like, God is going to use me someday, instead of, God is using me now, we've probably placed our dreams at the center rather than his ability to use a now vessel. I'll say that again. If you have said, God is going to use me someday, instead of, God is using me now. He's using you now. While you're watching your preschool children at home and hadn't seen the light of day in weeks, God is using you now. 
He's using you now in seventh grade when everybody's picking on you and you feel like you're too young to make a difference. God ain't going to use you someday just because it doesn't look like how you want it to look like. He's using you now. It's not about our hopes and our dreams and our aspirations and what it should look like. It's about waking up this morning on today and yielding ourselves to him. All right, God, what do you want me to do today? What do you have for me to do today? You know, today's young people are part of a fame culture that is far more absorbing than the one that their parents grew up in. Young people, I see you kind of magnet. There's a a big group of you over here, a few more over here. I pray for you a lot. I think you are the greatest generation to ever walk the planet, first of all. I don't think you're a lost cause. I don't think you're someone that we we are concerned about passing the torch to. I think you are the greatest generation the world has ever seen. God has held you back for this season because... He knew that the darkness was going to increase and he needed someone with authority, with power, with strength, with boldness, with courage. It's fearless just like you, but you have it rough. Now, this isn't a pity party for any stretch of the imagination because I understand fully that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But what I do want to stand up and recognize today is that I wasn't at the age of 16 tormented with a computer that had pictures I might should avoid. I wasn't tempted with social media to make my life look fantastic and fabulous and more than it really... I had the opportunity at 14, 15, 17, 20, 21 to truly assess and evaluate who I am, what I believe, what I stand for, without all the outside voices. You guys have it rough. You are bombarded every day with this fame culture. Now, there's a driving need to put my life on your wall so that I look good to you. That's too much pressure. Young people, listen, can you just just shake that off? You don't have to be anything to anybody but the Lord Jesus Christ. I just read an article yesterday of a young man who made a stupid decision to I'm just scanning the room for ages of kids. I assume my younger kids are in e-kids, but I'll still be careful just in case you're hiding in the room. A young man sent nudes to someone. That he, I don't know if he knew them or it was like an online connection and he thought this was going to work out in his favor, if you know what I mean. And he sent nudes and then they started blackmailing him and it, they kept demanding more money that he didn't have. Probably worked at Taco Bell, somewhere, just like you. He took his own life. His parents found him with a shotgun, killed himself, all because he was afraid these people were going to release these pictures and put them in the hands of his parents, who he didn't want to disappoint, his schoolmates. Like, this is, this is a pressure I didn't have as a kid. But can I just take a moment to look all of you in the eye and say that there is no reason to take your own life, no matter what mistake that you've made. Listen to me. Listen to me. Hear me. It doesn't matter what you've done wrong. 
It doesn't matter if your parents told you your entire life not to do something and you've done it. We're going to love you through it. You're still worth it. You don't have to run away from it. I hope you're hearing me today. Because I don't want that story to be a story in our family. The pressure to make life all about us. You know, it really eases the game when it doesn't have to be about me. It really just makes life so much more simple when it's about Jesus. Because he can take the credit for all the wins and he can take the blame for all the losses. Do you know what I mean? Remember, the Great Commission only exists because of his authority, not our own. The second way we hijacked, hijacked the Great Commission is when we see its application as primarily individualistic. I know that sounds super fancy. When we see it as an island game. When we see the Great Commission as just something that we do outside of the church. Oftentimes, we think that evangelism, the Great Commission, sharing the gospel, when we think about that, we think about the times that we have gone out and we've shared Jesus with someone. Maybe you're shopping at Ross. Someone comes up to you and you feel this urging to just share Jesus with them. You do, and you think, that's the Great Commission. And it is. I don't want to minimize that. That's huge, by the way. To bring Jesus into a conversation when it blindsides the other person and you just find a way to squeeze him at the table, that's beautiful, it's brilliant, but that's not the fullness of the Great Commission. And one of the ways that we lose the power of the Great Commission is to think that it's, a, it's an individual sport game. It's just my job out in the world, me against the world, to share the gospel. We lose the depth and richness of the Great Commission when we view it as individualistic rather than communal. Now, when Jesus told the disciples to go and make disciples of all the world, you do remember he was speaking to the group. He then pulled Peter aside and said, now listen, listen, man, you're the rock on which I'm building this church. I need you to go. Get him from the left. I'll send in Thomas from the right. He did. He told the group, and every time in Scripture where we see this kind of commissioning to go forward and spread the gospel, it's always spoken to a group. The corporate aspect of the Great Commission is critical because it grounds us in the disciple-making efforts. It dis it's critical because it grounds all of our disciple-making efforts in the community of faith, in the family of God, rather than in an individual. It's dangerous to follow an individual. It's safer to be planted in a body of believers. Are you with me? I'm not trying to make it seem as if church is always safe. It, it, it's not. Following Jesus is risky business. But when you're following a person, know this... Every human will let you down. Everybody will let you down. I will let you down. My wife will let you down. The keyboard player will let you down. Everybody's going to let you down. No lie. The child you waited 10 years for to have will someday let you down. 
the, the husband that you prayed for 20 years for, and you're so excited to get him, and that's great, congratulations, but guess what? Someday, he's going to let you down. Because that's what humans do, right? We, we put all of these expectations on humans that really belong to God. You know who will never let you down? The Great Commission is a communal experience. And I hope to empower you with this thought today because it's not about me doing a cheer for you to get you riled up for Easter. Invite people to Easter, y'all. Come on, leave little eggs with $20 bills at your co-worker's desk and inside put a church card. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to hype you up individually. I want you to understand that the Great Commission is bigger than just you. It's bigger than your ability to reach any one person. When we reach out to the world and we invite them into the family of God, there is power in that. The Great Commission is a communal experience. And listen, this is, this is why attending church is so important, okay? I, in the last few years, I've talked about attending church. I, I felt like I, I needed to, but I talked about attending church and being present long before COVID, right? It's, it's actually a principle that's really important. And this is why. Because when we gather together, communal commission takes place. Communal commission says that I am equally invested in the person you brought to church today. That's what that means. And that means that you're equally invested in the person that I, I brought to church. You know, there are, there are people that show up on a Sunday who have prayed for years for their neighbor or for their coworker or for their spouse. And the whole drive here, they're just praying that God will get a hold of them. They're praying that the worship is going to be good. They're praying that Pastor Trey isn't going to say something stupid. They're, they're praying that our greeters won't be absorbed in their own conversation but be ready to welcome their friend who they have been praying for for years to get here. Do you know what I mean? They are 100%, and I'm looking across the room and I see so many of you that have invi invited people throughout the years and, and you're so thrilled that they're here and you are invested in the fact that they are among us. This is why I need you to show up because when my neighbor shows up, he already knows me. I need him to know you. I need him to see that my family is whole. My family is healthy. That my family loves one another. That my family, even if we disagree on something, we support one another. We build each other up. We champion each other. You see, my job of the Great Commission isn't done until I bring them into my family of believers, and I introduce them to you, and together we all get to know Jesus, and they're just absorbed into the family. The Great Commission is communal, and we have to live out the identity of community in the Great Commission. Do you see how, do you see how powerful and connected the Great Commission becomes when your assignment becomes my assignment, and my assignment becomes your assignment? Do you see how powerful that is? Suddenly, what I do matters. 
suddenly what you do matters. But the enemy would love to hijack this notion of communal commission and make you think you're all on your own. And it doesn't matter that you didn't invite someone into the family of God this week, but it does matter. Because when I don't invite someone into the family of God, I don't allow Frank and Heidi to use their gifts in the family of God by interacting with that person that I brought. I don't let Dee and Henry use their gift of connecting with someone that I've brought. It's all interconnected. You are not in this alone. All right, point number three. I'm running out of time. But this is good preaching today, I just got to say. Number three, the third way we hijack the Great Commission is when we isolate the commission from the Old Testament foundations. Another misunderstanding of the Great Commission occurs... when we don't understand the, how it fits in the overarching theme of Scripture. All right? we, we see this commission first laid out to us, if you're reading chronologically, in Matthew chapter 28. At the end of Matthew 28. But it's not just about you and I running out, going out into the world and reaching people for Jesus. There's a, a larger story at play here. When we activate the Great Commission, we're actually pointing back to a promise that God made to Abraham. The promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3 says, Go from your country, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It's no longer, or it's no wonder, that Matthew begins his book by tracing the genealogy of Jesus all the way up to Abraham. He begins the book by saying, Abraham, all the way down to Jesus. He closes the book by pointing back to the promise that God made to Abraham. The church isn't a replacement for the Jewish people, by the way. We were grafted in. But when I fulfill the Great Commission, I'm not just inviting someone to church. I'm actually inviting them into a story. A promise that was made to Abraham thousands of of years ago. You see, it's a sacred invitation, not a social one. When I share the gospel with someone, I'm not just trying to get them to come and listen to a good preacher. I'm not just trying to get them to come and hear, hear worship and it'll move them. I'm trying to get them to tap into a 7,000-year-old promise made to a man on a hillside that blessing will flow out of I understand that me partaking and sharing the gospel is way bigger than me just sharing the church times on Sunday. Point number four, my final point. When we isolate the commission from the gospel's view and vision of discipleship, The key word in our text, one might think it's go. 
You might think the key word is go, but it's actually not. In your Bible, there are two words. It says make disciples, right? Um, it's a bit... If I were translating the Bible, I wouldn't have put make disciples there uh, because in the original text, there, it's not a, a verb and a noun that's placed together, right? Make is a verb, disciples, a noun. That's what all of your translations say. And it's, it's fair. I'm not saying the Bible is translated incorrectly. I'm just trying to bring a bit more clarity to you. It's not a verb and a noun. The, the original text is a declaration, so instead of make disciples, what it probably really should say is disciple with an exclamation point. Go disciple. Because you can't make a disciple. I've tried. I have tried to make disciples and I have tried to put those round pegs in square holes and it just doesn't work. I can disciple, and I can be discipled. What we've turned the Great Commission into is almost like holy propaganda. Hey, come to church. We got a big event. I hear they're giving away a big screen TV on Easter. We're not. That probably shouldn't have used that example. <laughs> We're not. We have. I think we have. We've given away tons of... We, we love to give away stuff because we're a generous church, but we're not on Easter giving that away. Should we give away a TV on Easter? <laughs> the Great Commission is really willing to roll up my sleeves and do life with you. That's what discipleship looks like. Discipleship is not a program. It's a lifestyle. Discipleship is not about teaching on Wednesday, which we do here. Discipleship is not about me sitting down with you and giving a gentle rebuke or gentle encouragement. Like that's, It's not about me molding you or you molding someone else. Discipleship is just getting close enough together, understanding that we're family, that we're in this thing together. And the good things that God has placed inside of you naturally rubs off onto me. And the good things that God has placed inside of me naturally rubs off onto you. The disciples walked with Jesus for three years. They camped out with him. They ate with him. They they heard parables from him, but I would guess, we'll have to ask them when we get to heaven, the greatest lessons that they ever learned were caught, not taught. I'm afraid that we think the Great Commission is just getting butts in the seat. But it's not. The Great Commission is doing life with people that show up here at the table. Sherry almost preached my sermon today by saying, show up early, stay late. That's discipleship. Inviting someone out to lunch after church, that's engaging in discipleship. When, when you have errands to run, 
alone and you're going to go South Austin or maybe you're going to go hiking somewhere. My wife does this all the time. It's just inviting other people to the place you were already going to go anyway. That's discipleship. Just doing life together. The enemy would love for us to hijack this thing and just make it all about uh, the mailer that's going out. By the way, this week, a mailer's going out to 50,000 homes just to let them know that the Exchange Church is here. We're still alive. We're still showing up. And Jesus is still on the throne. So we're going to be praying for them and praying that, that we show up on Easter ready not to receive what the Lord is doing, but ready to be a conduit of his grace and of his presence. Amen. Will you stand with me? I'm out of time. Maybe you're here today or you're watching online and we've talked about the family of God and maybe you, you don't feel as if you've crossed the line into salvation. You've not said yes to Jesus as Lord of your life. I believe that today is your day. Today is your day. We're not going to wait another minute to cross the line into the family of God. So if that's you all across the room or watching online, if you're ready to say yes to Jesus, if you're ready for today to be your day, to enter into the family of God, will you just wave at me so I know who I'm praying for? I'm not going to call you to the front. Anybody? Okay, see that hand. Thank you. Very good. Okay, see that. Thank you. Awesome. We've got two in the room. I'm sure we have some online. You know, an old preacher, I don't know if I should be funny now or not. This is a pretty serious moment, but an old preacher joke is this. If no one responds in the altar call, you just say, I see that hand. I see that hand. Yes, I see that hand. It's an old joke, but we, we do have two people in the room saying yes. And man, let me tell you, for two people to come to know Jesus, to cross the line of faith, that's why we're here. Church, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I thank you for sending Jesus on a cross to cover my sins. I believe that he rose from the grave. I believe that he's coming back. From this moment forward, my life will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give it up for Jesus. If you said yes, text NEXT to 512-980-1220. I know you think I'm about to dismiss you, but I'm not. I want to add, can I have two more minutes while you're standing? Okay. Speaking of the family of God, when I was growing up, in church, we used to have testimonies where just anybody could come up and grab the mic and you never knew what you're going to get. Um, but I just, I just feel like I want to give space two minutes, two minutes max. So it can't be anyone that doesn't know how to honor time. But I want to, I want to hear testimony of what the Lord has done in your life in this family of God. All right. 
So maybe one or two people, what has the Lord done for you since you've been at the Exchange Church connected to this body of believers in the last year, 10 years, 20 years? Well, we've not been here 20 years. But since you've been at the Exchange, what has the Lord done for you? Who would be courageous enough to run up here and share a snippet? Michael and Hosanna, we'll take both of you. Come on up, Michael and Hosanna. Let's give it up for Michael and Hosanna. You know, back, I'll just let you use my microphone. Um, Back in the day, everyone would show up in, in church, in their homes, and everyone would have to bring something of value. This is, this is what you're bringing today is your testimony, okay? No, you don't have to give an offering or anything like that. No, no. But what I'm saying is your story is adding value to our gathering today. Okay, so here you go. Okay. Wow, that was louder than I thought it was going to be. So you remember that 30-day shred that we did? So I was doing a 30-day shred with my mom. Shout out my mom. That's, that's my mom right there. So I was doing the 30-day shred, and as I was doing it, I noticed God showing himself in everyday things that I would do, just like going to school, going to, I live right next to a CVS, so I just walk over there all the time. I would always go over and just see God, like in everything. Like, it, it didn't make sense. It was weird. It was like, why are you here, dude? Like, what are you doing? But... God was just showing himself in ways that I had never seen him before and just working. I was getting, I was finding money. Like that never happens. Like I was doing, I was doing stuff that doesn't happen. Just, just, oh, yeah, I didn't tell my mom. Definitely didn't tell my mom. But anyway, it was just a lot of increase. Just the increase of God, just increase of favor, increase in blessing increase across the board just from reading the bible nothing more than just reading the bible spending time with god meditating just being in the spirit and that helped a lot let's give it up for michael thank you for sharing that that way i don't feel so alone up here not that you (laughs) anyways um the thing that i wanted to share with you guys is i grew up as a missionary my whole life And I always had Jesus in my home. We always had devotions. My kids learned to memorize scripture at a young age. And it was all great and wonderful. But when we came back to the United States, we didn't have a church home for quite some time. And my brother-in-law, he's a pastor up in Tennessee. And he kept encouraging us, you need to plant yourself. You need to find a church. And we were like, yeah, well, we have devotions. We're okay. We're fine. And I just want you guys to know that being at the exchange has changed my kids' future. And it's that important. And I really want to reach out to all you moms because I went to a conference one time that the exchange sent me to. And the most life-changing thing I heard was, you have the power to change your kids' future by just bringing them here, staying here, being planted, being here on Wednesday. Sometimes the drive is extra long. It's a lot of gas. Gas is really expensive. But I think the best decision I ever made was to just show up. Just keep showing up, keep showing up. 
and it's saved my kids' lives. And you guys have no idea. You don't know their stories. You don't know where they've been, the colleges that they've been to, the people they've hung out with that have been negative influences on them. And God still pulled them out of that. He, he reached in and he just kept and held on to them. And I've talked to other people who've lost children along the way to the faith. And they've gone to college and just lost hope, lost their belief. And they said, how did you do it? What did you do differently? How, how are your kids still serving God? First of all, I didn't, I, I held on to them. I fought with them. I argued with them every day, every night. They'd come home from college or school or something. I'd be like, nope, we don't believe that here. That's not what we believe. But more than that, it's like what he, what you were talking about um, giving it all to Jesus and it being Jesus because he can take all the glory and he can take all the blame. I didn't have to worry about their salvation or their future. I still don't have to worry and sometimes I'm tempted, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's in his hands. I just have to do the one thing. I have to do, I have to be here. I have to be faithful. And if I'm faithful, God's going to take care of them. But that's just what I, what God's done for my family. And I just want to encourage all the parents to just keep it up. Keep going. Don't get tired. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Make plans now for Good Friday, April 15th, 7 p.m., Old Settlers Park. Now that you've been to church, go be the church. We love you guys. God bless you.